0: Well, good morning. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor for those who may be a guest with us, and I'm so grateful to be back with you. If you follow me on social media, you know I almost did not make it back to church today. Um, It has been an adventure. So um, I had the great opportunity last week to be in Israel, Um, and what an experience it was. I know several of you have seen some of my pictures. I'm not going to spend the time um, going through that today. Um, I will make a, a couple of points real quick before I get into my message. You can go ahead and turn to Philippians 1, um, and be prepared. Uh, beginning at verse 27, um, there's a couple things um, that I, I do want to point out. Number one, um, I'll share some more about my trip later. Don't want to take the time today. In fact, it's kind of hard to put into words. Um, I have been up for 36 hours straight. Um, did not. I got home at 6:15 this morning. We left yesterday at. Um, Uh, a.m. Israel time, which is seven hours ahead of us. So I'm going backwards in time. Um, I know what the future looks like, and uh, it's very bright. Um, And so uh, we got stranded in Atlanta. um, But uh, but we will be partnering with um, uh, actually a group of churches next year, as well as maybe some other churches. And so um, if you saw the countdown, you'll know, but you can go ahead and mark it in your calendars. The first full week of February of 2024, um, I would love to take you all back to with me to Israel. Um, It's remarkable in just the fact that you get to see what you've been reading on paper um, in the Bible um, there. I mean, it's it's amazing. And they're still finding things. um, And so uh, I'll I'll share more about that. The other thing, I got to go with a a group of pastors. We got to go for a phenomenal rate um, because they wanted us to go experience it, to be able to bring our churches back. Um, And just being with a group of men. Um, if you've followed my videos, you've, you saw where um, we just went to different places, and we would just say, hey, let's sing. Um, and it reminded me the love that I have, and ladies, this is no offense to you, but when men sing, when, when men can be heard singing, um, and, and I want to encourage you guys as your pastor. Um, to lead your family when it comes to worshiping God and singing. Um, bring them into the church. And, um, and of course, we have children's environments, but we've never said you have to do that. But, but men, I want to hear you sing. I, I want us to be heard singing and leading the way. There, it's, it is powerful when men sing. Um, and so um, if, you, if you have not seen those videos, uh, go watch them. Uh, we were, got to be a part of a couple of spontaneous. There was a group um, from, uh, from England um, that we're in the church, and they just, from their seats, just break out in worship. And it was very powerful. And we joined, we had no idea what the words were, um, but we, we kind of joined in with them. Um, it's amazing how uh, worship is universal, whether you know, when you hear Lord and Jesus and, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. You don't have to know all the other words. You just know. You just know that he's being lifted high. He's being praised. And then uh, one of our guys... Um, saw a a guy with a guitar, so he's like, come on, man, you know, and so um, he started playing Amazing Grace, and so all the guys standing around started singing Amazing Grace, and then their guys gathered around, looked like a sing-off, you know, like the dance-offs, and so we sing it in English, and then he turns to them, and they start singing Amazing Grace in French, and so once again, we don't know all the words, but we know the music, and there's a power in music, and yet, uh, everyone's able to worship because we know amazing grace. We know praise God, and we know um, we know our lyrics, and it matches up with the words, so we can worship together. And I'll just say this much because um, I walked away from some of those experiences. And I just said, man, heaven is going to be wonderful um, because the Bible says that every, that every nation, every tongue will be there worshiping Jesus. And so we have a lot to look forward to. But men, I think we need to uh, lead the way in our church, in leading our families, and leading the way in singing where, where we can be heard. Um, that's what worship is about it's in the church. It's about congregational singing. Um, and, and I know uh, our worship team is working hard at that, and I've encouraged them um, for us to start focusing on some songs that are easy for the congregation to sing, because there's a power in that. And that's what we're called to do um, as the church. Um, that is our worship together. So if there's one thing I'll tell you now in, in the immediate that I brought back, Um, let's start there because that is um, uh, what we should be doing as the church. So I'll be sharing some photos, videos. Um, I've got some ideas of how we can kind of highlight and emphasize this, Um, but go ahead and mark your calendar. First full week of February. If things change, I'll let you know, but that gives you a year and we'll get prices and all those details and things like that. But I would love, love, love for you to see um, what I got to experience, um, a beautiful land. Um, and it was it was a wonderful experience. Um but in this series, uh, we've been looking at um, it very intently this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Um, And in this, there are um, truths and there are some specific things that were written specifically to this group of people and this group of Christians um, and what they were going through and what they were experiencing um, in this time in history. Um, But there are also, as we always say within the scriptures, there are transferable truths um, that apply to us today. Um, There are things that we can look at that they are truth for everyone. They're truth no matter what day you live in that we can look to and we can apply to our life. And so just as a brief review, in week one... Um, we looked at and we saw how the church matters. We saw how the church at Philippi got started in the book of Acts and with Lydia and with the demon-possessed girl and with the jailer and just how that multiplied and how that grew um, and how the church matters for the salvation of those who do not have a relationship with Jesus. In week two, we said that the greatest win for a Christian is when the gospel wins. It's not about our agenda, it's not about our winning and our elevating ourselves, but it's about um, the gospel advancing, and it's about Um, people coming into the faith so that they can glorify God as well. And then last week, um, I got to watch it in the evening in Israel, because we're seven hours off, um, and Phil did a phenomenal job of helping us to see one of the things that is a part of our mission statement, and that's that Christians should be a passionate follower of Jesus, and as such, we should aim to accomplish the more necessary that which is more necessary in life. It's not about escaping the problems and the heartaches of this world. Um, that's something you will see in uh, uh, Israel. You, you will see the heart. You will see the pain, the troubles that um, the Hebrew slaves dealt with and, and what they helped build with, um, in the landscape and things like that. And, and it gives you a great appreciation of what those people went through and experienced and, and, and the same thing in our own life. Um, Life is not about or our faith is not about just escapism and escaping from the difficulties, but rather it's um, aiming for and it's choosing what is more necessary even in the difficulties. What is the most necessary thing in this life? And Paul said the the more necessary was living a life devoted to Jesus. He said, for me to live is Christ for, for the, the point of my life is going to be Jesus. That, that's my heartbeat. That's my motivation. That, that is the reason why I live. And, and so if Jesus takes me on, that's my game because I get to go and be in his presence. But if I am to live on this life, it is going to be for Jesus. And so that was the more necessary, not only to have a life devoted and known by Jesus, um, it's following him in obedience but it's also bringing value to the name of Jesus, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit and the joy of the church. And you are the church. And we've talked about this oftentimes that we're not just, we don't just come here to sit in seats and we don't just come here to kind of check off the box and say, I did my, um, my, my duty for the week, my spiritual obligation, and I came and sat in a seat and I came, and I came to church. This is a family. This is the body of Christ, the sons and daughters of God who have been adopted because of Christ Jesus. And so this is a family. And as a family, we should live our lives to benefit one another, to, to bring joy to one another, to encourage and to build one another up. And that's, in fact, what the scripture calls us to do to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith. And so that is the more necessary. That as long as I'm here, I'm going to live for the renown of Jesus. I'm going to live to make him famous and to make him known, to glorify him, and to make sure he is known throughout the land. But also, I am here to live for the benefit of you, not for just the benefit of me. In fact, Paul said, don't just look out for your own um, uh, well-being, for your own good, but for the cares and the concerns of others. In fact, he said this in Philippians, in that passage that um, Phil preached out of, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he says, the more necessary, yes, I could, I could wish the best for me that I'm in the presence of God, that I'm in the presence of my King Jesus. And, and, and life's gonna be grand in heaven. I don't have to deal with the pain. I don't have to deal with the difficulty. Paul wouldn't have to deal with the imprisonment. But he says, the more necessary of my life is for you. And since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That was verse 24 and 25. And so for us, we also live for Christ to benefit others. This is one of those transferable truths. Paul said to remain in this life was for the benefit of the church, for their spiritual progress and joy. And so I wonder today, before we get into today's passage, can we say the same thing? If you were to take an inventory of your own life, would you say that the point of your life is Jesus? And the more necessary of your life, like the thing that motivates you and the thing that drives you in life is that you are here to benefit other people, to benefit the church, for their spiritual well-being, for for their progress, for their joy, and so it's easy for us to say, yes. Yeah, I, I, I want to f- believe the best about myself. I, I want to see the best in myself. And that's okay. I, I, hope that that, I hope that it is a yes for you. But then I would ask you, what are the things in your life that marks that purpose, that, that marks those things in your life? What is it that you can look at, not just a yes, to say, yes, um, I, I, I want my life to be about Jesus, Or or yes, I want the more necessary for the sake of the church, for their spiritual progress and for their joy. What would mark that in your life? What would be the proof and the evidence of that? I'm not here to tell you what that Necessarily should look like because in different situations it might look like different things because there are moment by moment um, ways that we need to follow and obey Jesus and then there's there's the common things like worshiping, um, like um, tuning into His Word, like spiritual disciplines of growing in His Word and and and, um, becoming a disciple. I mean, there there are those things that we can point to that are specific, but then in your everyday life you're going to face situations and you're going to face things that you're going to have to make decisions that will be for the more necessary, that that will either identify that Jesus is uh, at the center of your life. He is the purpose of your life. He's the heartbeat of your life. And that the spiritual progress, the, 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 the joy, the benefit of the church is your more necessary. And so for you, I would say today, what does that look like? What are those evidences? Not so we can just say yes and look spiritual, but that we can be honest. Because if we can't say yes, that's okay. That's why we're here, to grow, to learn, to be challenged by God's Word so that we can um, align ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to align us with what God desires and intends for us. So in verse 27 and 28, he goes on to say this, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. You can write this down. A Christian's identity should. Determine their decisions, or you can write behind the decisions, you can write down behavior. A Christian's identity should determine their decisions or behavior. Paul closes out this portion of his letter by saying just one thing because he wants to emphasize something specifically for the recipients of this letter. Not only those of the church at Philippi, but those like us who would follow those other Christians who would um, have the scriptures and be able to learn from these truths that he gives to them. It's like saying, if if, if there's one thing that I want you to know, it would be blank. It would be like you sitting down with your child and saying, if there's just one thing that I want you to know today, it would be this. If, If there's one thing that I want you to carry with you through life, it would be this. And so he tells them after he has led them up to this point, just one thing, just one thing that I want you to grasp and take away from you. See, Paul appeals here to the recipients of this letter and those who would read it in our day and time and in between this day and time and beyond our day and time. He appeals to them based on their identity. He says, as citizens of heaven. So so he says, everything that I'm about to tell you and talk to you about, it's based on your identity as citizens of heaven. Paul's appeal to the church at Philippi and these other Christians like you and me is that very thing. So what he's telling us today is that if we're in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. We've talked about this before. There's no longer Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, but now we are one race, we're one people, we're one nation, we we belong to God, we're children, sons, and daughters, and so we belong to heaven. This is the bedrock that Paul builds his letter on. Everything that he instructs in this letter and everything he has instructed to the church in his other letters is anchored in the reality that we're no longer citizens of this earth, but we're now citizens of heaven. We're just temporary visitors on the earth. Now, thankfully that this was a full week in Israel. And so I was able to actually get some some really good illustrations of this. In fact, when we got to um, the airport um, and and we were going to Tel Aviv and we were going through Turkey, um, we were given, first of all, um, when I went to Israel, I went for uh, a, a visit. I didn't go there for long term. I was there temporarily. And so you have to show your passport because you're a visitor there. and They want to make sure you're there for the right reasons and and all of these different things. And so you have to show it multiple times through the airport. But when you get to Tel Aviv, you have to go to this kiosk and you scan your passport and it gives you a temporary visa. And the reason it gives you a temporary visa is because you're just visiting. Your visit is just temporary. When I went to Israel, I didn't go there and buy a home or even look at buying a home. I didn't look to make huge investments because I knew that within eight days I'm going to be returning and I'm going to be coming home because I'm just a visitor. Well, in the same way, Christians are only visitors on earth. In fact, some versions say that we are aliens, not aliens as in the green Martian things, but aliens as in foreigners. That, that we are here, that we uh, are a part of this earth, but we don't belong to this earth. We are citizens of heaven. We are temporary visitors here. But the problem is we live our life as if this is our permanent residence. We live our life as if there's not gonna be a day that we stand before God and not, not only stand uh, to be judged, thankfully, um, Christ is our redeemer, and so um, he will satisfy anything that we, it has already satisfied, anything that we would face because of our sin, but we will give an account of our works, even as followers of Jesus, what we did with this life. But oftentimes I think we forget, oftentimes I think we forget that there, there is an eternity beyond here because we live as if this is our permanent residence, as if we've got to accomplish everything here and that there is no eternity beyond this day and yet scripture tells us we're aliens here. We're only temporary visitors. Our life here is in preparation for the eternal life that is to come in the presence of God. We live for eternal things, not temporary things. And so when we talk about living for the more necessary, which was the setup last week to lead into this, that that our life is Jesus that our life and our heartbeat and our motivation is Jesus, if that is true, then we have to understand that there is a reason for that. Why did Paul say that for me to live is Christ and that I will choose the more necessary um, to benefit you, for for your benefit, for your progress? What would that progress matter? What would that progress matter um, just here on earth? It helps us in our everyday life. It helps us how we interact with people. But why? We do those things for the glory of God. We do those things to make Him known. Why? Because there will come a day that we will be in the presence of Jesus forever. There will come a day that we will give an account for the things that we have done in this body and with the new life that Christ has given us. And so when He says that my heartbeat, my life is Jesus... When he says that what I'm doing is for the benefit of other people, the more necessary, he's saying that because we are citizens of heaven. There's an eternity awaiting us that will be the far greater aspect of our life. We might have 70 years here. Some people have had less. Some people have more. But this is minute compared to the eternity that we look forward to when we were visiting Masada, which is another great place in Israel, um, part, of a group was, part of our group was standing on a walkway. And it's hard to describe um, this, but, but we had 30 some odd people. So some people are over here kind of listening to the guide and some people got tired of listening to him. So they're taking pictures and they're up here. And then there was another large group coming in because there, there's tour groups all over the place. And so massive groups of people, um, and, and so this other group starts coming down the walkway while our group's standing on the walkway. And as they get to our group, they just automatically step off the walkway because they're there just taking pictures. They're not walking or anything like that. And so the other group's walking by and a lady stops uh, kind of midway of the group and turns to one of our kind of group hosts and says, y'all are Americans, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah. How did you know? And she said, because you were polite, and you automatically stepped out of the way without having to be asked. See, because there were other groups from other countries, and I'm not disparaging other countries, I'm just being honest about what we experienced, because I think we all experienced the same thing. There were certain groups that they were just rude. They would push you out of the way. They would cut in line. I was standing in line for breakfast one day, and a lady just comes and cuts right in front of me. And then she tells the lady behind me to come on up. I was like, uh-uh. Oh no. This is one time I'm not living for your benefit. But but that that was just the experience. But just their behavior, just their decision to step off the, the path. It's not like one of them turned and said, All right, guys, let's step off the path. They just all did it. And the lady identified them as Americans because of how they behaved, because of the choice they made. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here, that our identity as citizens of heaven should determine how we live our lives. So that when they see the decisions that we make, when they see how we manage our life, when they see that Jesus is our heartbeat, that for us to live is Christ, and that for us to live is for your benefit and for one another's benefit, to build one another up, to encourage one another, for the spiritual progress of other people, not p- placing ourselves first, but maybe making ourselves last, lowering ourselves. Saying, "Ma'am, if you need to get up with the lady to get uh, in line, th- then that's fine, because I don't need to be first. I don't. I, I, yes, you cut in line, it, it, but but maybe you need to be there." Maybe, maybe you're hungry. Maybe you've got a child that you've got to get back to, whatever. Instead of saying, no, I, I've got to be first. It, it's okay. Go right ahead. Ma'am, do you need to come up? Just, just that mindset of the fact that we're here for the joy of other people. What I believe Paul is telling us is in that that people will be able to identify because we're different and we live life different and we don't live selfishly, and we don't live by our own agenda and we don't live demanding our own way, that, that people would see that there is something different about us, that we're citizens of another world, that, that, hey, you're doing this, but everybody else is doing this. You're making this decision. You manage your life this way and everybody else does it this way. Why? And just as those people could identify our nationality by a simple decision to step out of the way, what would be greater is people, if people looked at our life and they determined that we're followers of Jesus by the way we manage our life. It should determine our our citizenship, our identity should determine what we do with Jesus and how we live for the benefit of others. And that's why he's appealing on this. That's why this is the bedrock by which he's anchoring this appeal to the church at Philippi and to the other Christians that will read this letter later, because our identity as citizens of heaven should determine what you do with Jesus. Okay, you've received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. What are you going to do with him? I mean, is he just kind of a companion? He's just there? He's just like kind of a tag-along? See, because Paul says, the point of my life for me to live is Christ. It'd be like somebody saying, man, my life is football. My life is my family. My life is this. Like, my life is defined by this. Paul says, my life is defined by Jesus. My life is defined by the more necessary, which is for your progress and your joy. May we all allow our citizenship to be the foundation, to be the anchor by which we live our life, by which we, what we do with Jesus and what we do on the benefit of others, especially the household of faith and those who are outside of the household of faith who need to hear about Jesus. And so the expectation here is to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, I was putting this message together because we had a very full week and I tried over three days and I kept falling asleep and kept falling asleep and kept falling asleep. And so most of this, I, I was putting together yesterday on the, the plane and really doing it on my iPad. So I really didn't know how much content I had. And I ended up with too much because if we really want to take the time to talk about living your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, I mean, we, we could probably do a whole series on that. And so today I'm I'm going to kind of keep it a little more on the surface because of time, but this is Paul's expectation by which we build our life on the bedrock of our citizenship in heaven. It's that we live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you can write that down. A Christian should live their life worthy of the gospel. The word worth is essentially like equal weight as essentially in this um, scenario. Um, Equal weight as in like gold or money silver, uh, some kind of equal value. So had Paul wrote this to a group of non-believers, we'd have a conflict with the actual gospel because he'd be promoting a works-based salvation. So if this was not written to Christians, he would be telling the lost people. And that's why we have to understand who's being written to, because if a lost person looks at this and says, I need to live my life worthy of the gospel, then they think that I've got to earn my way, I've got to er, uh, work, I've got to do something that is worthy of the gospel in order for God to be okay with me. And so, there would be a conflict there because we don't work our way to salvation, we don't work our way into the fa- uh, to, to God's favor. I mean, how do you ever live your life worthy of the gospel? Think about it, where the Son of God who didn't cling to his equality with God, he he was perfect in heaven, in a perfect heaven with no pain, no sorrow, no sin, no heartache, no betrayal, no, no deception, no temptation, chooses not to cling to that, cling to his rights as the Son of God. He gives that up. He comes to earth. He lives the perfect life that you and I could not live. He faces heartache, betrayal, sorrow, pain, um, every temptation that you and I have been faced with. He was persecuted, betrayed by the very people that he came to rescue, only to be beaten unrecognizable, to be nailed to a criminal's cross, though he was innocent. Also, your sins could be paid for, also, that you could be redeemed. He shed his blood as payment, broken body for payment for your sins, for what you have done. Whether you feel you're just a small sinner or whether you're over here and you feel like you're the worst of sinners. It doesn't matter what depth or level because we're all equally sinners. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're just a small sinner. In the eyes of God, you're a big sinner. And it doesn't matter if you're a big sinner in your own eyes, because in God's eyes, he just sees that you're a sinner. He doesn't see the depths and go, you know what? This one's going to be a harder case than this one. No, his grace, his blood, his broken body is the equal payment, no matter how you view yourself. The problem is when we see scripture, we see, oh, such a worm as I. Oh, what a miserable man am I. If we're over here and we think we're just a small sinner, maybe we need a better perspective of what the Scripture says of us. Because sin essentially makes us nothing but maggots, that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. It's all through Scripture that we are sinners. And so it doesn't matter if we feel that we are a big sinner or a small sinner The the reality is Christ's blood and broken body was required for that redemption, for that forgiveness. And so how do you ever do anything in this life that would be of equal value, that would be worthy of the precious gift of the salvation that God offers to sinners? What could you ever do that would be of equal value or equal worth? And so, he's not writing this to sinners because sinners could do nothing to um, equal the worth of the precious gift of salvation that he has given. And so, this is why he's not writing to them, because salvation can't be earned or bought. It's out of your price range. The good news is Jesus has already paid it for you. And so Paul wrote, wrote to Christians, but the truth remains the same even for those of us who follow Jesus. What can we ever do to repay? What can we ever do to live our life with such value and weight as the precious gift of salvation that we've been given? What could we ever do? The reality is is we can't do anything. We can't offer anything that comes close to the same value or weight of the gospel that Christ has offered to us. At Masada, once again, Israel, our group took the sky lift up to um, the mountain, and it's hard to describe. It's a massive mountain. Um, they packed, they said 80 people could fit in the sky lift, and they packed us in pretty tight. But on the way up, um, because I, I love running, I love um, doing that type of stuff, and I know y'all, some of y'all look at me like you're a sinner. That's crazy. Um, there are steps and there's a path that goes up to the mountain. And so I look at it, I was like, man, that's cool. I would have loved to have done that. And then conversation, because I guess the tour guide or somebody said that um, not too long ago, or maybe at some point, a 14-year-old made it all the way to the top from the bottom in 17 minutes. I was like, man, I'd like to try that. And some guy that just met me has no idea anything about me. He's part of our group. God bless him, love him, um, good guy, just doesn't know me. He goes, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do it in 17 minutes. Now, other guys are saying, I couldn't even do the stairs in like two hours. Like, I couldn't do that. And you're crazy, Nick, for even wanting to. What's, what's wrong with you? But, but this guy who doesn't know me is like, you couldn't do that. And for me, that makes me want to like, I'll show you. So I did it. No, I'm playing. 2024. Um, but I told him, I said, I might not be able to do it in 17 minutes like a 14 year old who doesn't have back problems, hip problems, knee problems, neck problems, you know, all the things that you have at 42 years old. But I know I could do it. And I know that I would make a pretty good running at it. I'd maybe get close. And some of you are like me, like you, you love a challenge. It, it lights a fire under you. It it inspires you. It motivates you. It's like you say, I can't do that or it's difficult. I loved it because, you know, Jerusalem's very hilly. And I love the fact that I've been getting in shape because I just kept saying all week, I've been training for this. I've been training for this and it was great. Not sore one day. I love a challenge. Living our life worthy of the gospel is a challenge. And I think we all need to have that mindset, that it inspires us, that it motivates us, that we don't sit back and say, oh, I can't do that or you can't do that. We, we, can't, we can't offer God anything that is of equal value and worth that he has given us in the gospel. So let me just do what I want to do. Let me just live life my way. Let me just make the decisions for myself. No, see, Paul started this by saying, for me to live is Christ. For, for me to live, I'm going to choose the more necessary, and that is going to be for your benefit, for your progress, for your joy. And then he says that the, the, the expectation of you as a citizen of heaven is to live worthy of the gospel. So that leaves us three choices. That's to ignore this truth altogether. And there will be some people here or joining us online that you hear this truth and you will make the decision to ignore it. You'll just continue living your life the way that you have and you will just continue living life maybe for your own worth and your own value and your own progress and your own agenda and you'll just ignore it. You'll just continue on doing what you'll do. The second choice is that we see this and we see living a life worthy of the gospel as impossible. And so we just kind of blend and we just kind of merge our life with the Christian life. We pick and choose, we make it a buffet. And so when it gets difficult, we're going to just choose what's convenient for us, what's comfortable for us, what's easy for us, what 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 um maybe benefits us in that moment and in that time. Whatever we've feel is best for us at that time. So sometimes we're going to live for Christ. It's going to look good. It's going to look righteous. But then there's going to be times like maybe we spiritual spin on it, but I'm going to do my own thing. Or we can choose to make the decision as Paul did, that as long as we're living, it will be for Jesus and to follow in his ways. Psalms 23, one through three says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And, I, uh, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I just realized that this point's not on there because we had some technical glitches. Because I was like, why is Correll already up here? This isn't the last point. Um, so you might have to write that point in there. But I like what my friend Brian said about this when talking about living for the worth of Jesus. The Lord leads us in paths of righteousness. Why? What did it say? For his name's sake. So we live our life worthy of the gospel by living it for the sake of Jesus's name. So so when he says, live your life worthy of the gospel, the only thing that we can come close to that is worthy of the gospel has nothing to do with us and nothing that we have to offer. The only thing that we have to offer is praise to the name of Jesus to make his name known, to make him famous for the sake of his name and for the sake of his glory to glorify him and to make him known to the world. See, Jesus is what makes the gospel beautiful and glorious. So his glory and his fame must be the motivation of our life. So if we're going to live for the word, to, to make the gospel, to be to, to, for the worthy, live our life worthy of the gospel, Jesus has to be the motivation because it is him that makes it beautiful. It's him that makes it glorious. So as you live your life for the renown of Jesus and for his namesake and for his glory and to make him known among the church and among the world, then you are living your life worthy of the gospel because there is only one that's worthy of the gospel and it's Jesus himself. And so the decisions surrounding our relationships, how we manage conflicts, how we manage money, how we lead people, our career choices, our church involvement, whether it be attendance, whether it be giving of tithes and offerings, serving in ministry, participation in missions, taking next steps to grow spiritually, accepting my challenge, men to lead our church in singing and glorifying God. Whether it be any of those things, among many other decisions, they should all be anchored in our identity as citizens of heaven with the motivation to glorify the name of Jesus in the church and among the world that we live in, those who need to know him. And then the final verse says this, then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way, by your opponents. You can write this down. Every Christian should be unified by the gospel. Every Christian should be unified by the gospel. If there's one thing I despise as a pastor, as a Christian, it's the vision among the family of God, whether that be internal among church members, among the family of God, or it's outside between churches or pastors or other ministry leaders divisive against one another, tearing one another down. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that his disciples and those disciples that would come after those disciples, us, those who would come to faith because of the ministry of those disciples, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That was the heartbeat of Jesus is for us to be unified together, not divided, not divisive, but encouraging one another, living for the sake of one another, for the benefit of one another. And so if that's Jesus's heartbeat, then it must be our heartbeat as well. And so Paul told the church at Philippi, if they lived their life worthy of the gospel, glorifying the name of Jesus, making him known to the world, then it would not matter if he was there with them or if he was absent, if he was apart. He says, because he would be confident that they are all, not just some, not just, a, not just a portion of them, not just the church at Philippi, but the church at Philippi, the, the, the church at Ephesus, the Galatians church, that all of these churches would be standing firm, united in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not, not backing down to the real enemy, those who wanted to eradicate it from its existence our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is spiritual. It's wickedness. It's a power well beyond humanity. It's not the Christ follower who has different convictions. It's not the traditional church or the contemporary church. It's not the trivial things that we allow to divide and weaken us. It is spiritual. It is the powers of darkness that come against us. It's not one another. Paul was encouraging the church to be unified around the name of Jesus, his worth, making him known, his agenda, not our own. So when we're sold out to making much of Jesus and making the gospel valuable in our personal lives, as well as in others, it will unify us. That's what Paul's saying. It'll unify us because our agenda will die at the feet of Jesus. And his agenda will no longer fight for the things that only matter for the temporary here on earth, the here and now, but we'll begin to contend with one another side by side, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, strengthening one another, contending together for the things that matter for eternity, contending for the gospel. Because there's going to be some churches that contend for the gospel with a pipe organ. There's going to be some uh, churches that contend for the gospel using hymns. There's gonna be some churches who contend for the gospel wearing suits. There's gonna be some churches who contend for the gospel looking much like us. There to be some Christians who contend for the gospel and have convictions that you don't have. Those things should not divide us. What should unite us is the renown, the name, the sake of Jesus, his glory and his renown so that we can be unified together side by side for that which matters most, and that is the advancement of the gospel. And I close with this, verse 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Paul and these Christians are facing some of the same struggles. He suffered, he's been in prison They're now facing persecution. And he's like, you're experiencing what I've experienced. He said, but here it's been granted to you. It's like a gift to suffer for Christ. And once again, we could go very deep into this, but I'm just going to keep it at this today. And it's simply this, that that it was not only a gift for them to be granted to believe. Remember, we're all sinners. We we, we all deserve death and hell and separation from God for eternity. And yet he, his broken body has shed blood, provides salvation for us. He says, it's a gift granted to you to believe, but also for these Christians and maybe any of us who have gone through some kind of suffering, some kind of brokenness. He says, it's a gift granted to you, not only to believe, but also to suffer with Christ as Christ suffered. Christ gave up his life but yet it's in our suffering that we have the opportunity to glorify Jesus and make him known even more powerfully, even more significantly for others to see that when we're going through difficulty, we make much of Jesus. We make his name known, not our our infirmary, not our, I said that wrong, not our, our issue, not our brokenness, not our sickness, but we make much of of Christ, And so today, that kind of heart only comes from someone willing to die to their own agenda, to build their agenda based on their citizenship in heaven. To, to say, I want to live my life worthy of the gospel, and to do so, I have to make much of Jesus. And so I wonder today, what choice will you make? Will you ignore this truth? Will you just go home and continue on about your life? Will you just kind of merge it together with your life and kind of just blur Christianity, blur the truth of God's word, just make it murky and make it fit for you? Because the reality is, if we don't do it according to God's word, it doesn't work. We think it'll work, but it leaves us empty and it leaves us broken. But you have that choice. Or will you make the choice to embrace a life that is built on Christ. Your heartbeat is Jesus in every decision that you make and that you will live your life for the benefit of others, to encourage them for their spiritual progress, for their joy. Today, what choice will you make as a citizen of heaven? I'm going to pray for us and I would encourage you to have that conversation with God. Whatever he's speaking to your heart, have that conversation with him today. Maybe you need to make a commitment to live as a citizen of heaven, worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you once again for the truth of your word. Thank you for this letter to the church at Philippi and the fact that we belong to you, that you have saved us and you have given us the benefit of being able to learn from this letter truths that will benefit our life, but also allow us to benefit the lives of Of those that we encounter here in church, but also in the world. And so I have one simple prayer today as others are praying whatever you have laid on their heart or whatever they're dealing with in this moment. But my prayer is simply this, that we will live our life worthy of the gospel, that we as a church would be known as a people, as citizens of heaven, that we make much of you that what we do, we do for the sake of your name, that our life would be marked by glorifying you, but also in benefiting our fellow man, benefiting our brothers and sisters, that we would die to our agenda and that we would take your agenda on, your purpose on, your mission on, and you would be glorified in our life. At the end of our life, though we fail and though we fall short, May we be able to be known as a people who lived worthy of the gospel because we made not much of you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.